welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. orient you quickly, we said um, we're taking a bit of a break from the preaching here at Hatfield and handing it over to good friends of ours. So over these four weeks, we said that we are inviting some friends from the city in to come and preach here. Uh, two weeks ago, we had Koketso with us from Muso Church. And um, yes, uh, the amens are still flying. That's awesome. And uh, we also then today have Christu with us. Christu Fenter, he, very similar to us, they planted a new church in a Centurion called Table Church. Um, and I think what's beautiful, we specifically are specific people to come and preach here. Howdy, howdy friends. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see everyone. <laughs> um, and we specifically ask these guys to come and preach because they share our multi-ethnic vision for the city. And so I know what Chris and them are doing. Um, it is tough to plant churches in the city. It's tough to plant churches at any time. And it's even more tough to plant churches between 2019 and 2022. So I've got a ton of respect for what they're doing. Um, he's an incredible leader and I'm so thankful that they can come and bless us and we can learn from them what it means also to be a multi-ethnic church. So can we talk with Christy this morning? Can we be vocal and uh, be a multi-ethnic church? That's what he meant to do. Antoinette's going to lead us and uh, Bands is going to help us a bit in the front here. Um, but can we just uh, appreciate and thank Christy as he preaches this morning? Let's give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's amazing. I hear that Koketsu warmed you guys up. It's, it's impossible not to. So I'm not going to have that, but I'll do my best. I'm too white. But anyway, um, it's really an honor to be here. It was so encouraging standing here, being here. And, um, just, just to encourage you guys, maybe, I, I really believe that what Joe spoke about up here is, is not just words. Uh, I believe Doxa Hatfield is a very, very generous church and community, and I've experienced it firsthand in, in the beginning when Table were uh, kind of, uh, well, we still are a little bit all over the place. Um, we, we needed space in Hatfield at some stage, and uh, Joe said, yeah, long passage. I was going to read all of it, but earlier the week I came here to record the video for, for YouTube, and by the end of the passage, I was too tired to continue speaking, so we literally paused the video, asked Mana for some water, and then continued. So, so I'm going to try and do it bit by bit today, and uh, so, so bear with me. It's going to maybe sound all over the place, but I hope that in the end, God shows to you what, what He wants to show to us this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we head into the Word. Father, thank you for this amazing morning where we could just experience your tangible presence that's always with us, as Joe said. It's so encouraging always, Lord, to see how your spirit moves in your people and in your church and to experience you near to us. We thank you, Lord, for always refreshing us, refreshing our joy, refreshing our peace, and refreshing our hope. May you come and do that this morning through your word as well, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John 16 is part of a thing that they call the Upper Room Discourse. Now that sounds very 
how to understand, but the idea of the upper room discourse is just Jesus sharing with his disciples the last kind of words he has before he gets arrested the night in, in the garden, as you guys know. So the, the evening he gets arrested, we always celebrate that on the Thursday evening, and then Friday is the crucifixion, so disciples before this climax, this moment. John 14, and then John 15 is a famous passage where Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. You have to remain in me so that I can remain in you. So, so kind of Jesus then leads them into saying, remember, this is what it's all about. You have to remain in me. It doesn't matter what you do and how you live out your Christian life in our context today. That's where it all starts. Like, who's Jesus to me? And am I remaining in him? And is he then therefore remaining in me? So that's where we are. And then after that, we get into John 16. So it's actually so powerful to see that Jesus now not only shares the beautiful things, and a lot of times at church we can do that, just share the nice things about discipleship and the nice things about being church and about this, but, but now in John 16, Jesus says, yes, so remain in me, yes, my body broken for you, my blood flowing for you, and I will save you, and it's beautiful and all, and the, 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 the disciples not understanding what's happening at the moment, and then Jesus says, but... This is where, in Afrikaans you will say, this is where the tacky hits the tear, you know. So, so this is where things become real. So, so this is where, where Jesus says, okay, discipleship, and, and a lot of scholars would say this is kind of the dark side of discipleship that Jesus is unpacking for them in, in John 16. So, so, so it's not just always going to be nice and, 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 and moonshine, as you would also say in Afrikaans, you know. Um, but it's going to be so difficult at times, but remain in me, and I will remain in you, and your joy will always be refreshed, your peace will always be refreshed, and that's the two things that I think highlight John 16, peace and joy, peace and joy, so, so how can you have those, and, and as we go along, you'll see peace and joy is something internal that only the Spirit of God can give you. And, and so peace and joy cannot be taken away by the most horrific of heartbreaks, by the most horrific things that can happen to us. It cannot be taken away. John 16, verse 1. It was not given to me. Sorry, Joe, but I just felt like I want to just step back into it. Verse 1. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Now, another translation can say, I told you these things to, so that you would not abandon your faith. You know that Matthew Mole song? I have told you these things so that you will not abandon your faith. Do you, know Do you know that song? It's a very cool Matthew Mole song. He actually is a Christian, worship leader. Um, and uh, he really is. Cape Town, French Hook, worship leader. Great guy, apparently. Um, <laughs> I know someone who led worship with him. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so, so I have told you these things so that you would not abandon your faith. Now, the beautiful thing, and I think probably the most beautiful thing out of all of this, is that Jesus tells them, his heart for them is that your faith may stay strong no matter what. Because Jesus also knows that the, the future of the church kind of depends on these people not abandoning their faith when times get tough. And I think maybe that's something for you to hear this morning. Like, the future of the church in a lot of ways depends on us not abandoning our faith when times get tough. And so how are we staying true to what Jesus is calling us to when times get tough? I think that's where it connects. And then this connects very well with your key passage that, that, that Joe gave me, the key passage of all of John. John 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. 
That's the book of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have faith in His name and have life in His name. That's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what John is about. That's why we have four versions of the life of Jesus so that we might have faith in him and then consequently have life. Life that you cannot find anywhere else. Life that can only be found with Jesus. And so this is what this passage is about. is saying, we want, or I want, as Jesus, want you to believe in me. But here comes the dark side maybe a little bit. Four things in this passage that I want to highlight. I'm going to take them bit by bit. And this is not my own wisdom. It, it's, it's a beautiful commentary written. If you can find it, uh, the, now I forgot the name of it. Anyway, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful <laughs> series that has commentaries on all of the books of the Bible. David Platt was one of the guys who, who helped write this, this thing. Go search David Platt, David Platt commentaries, and you'll find it. <laughs> so the, the John commentary, um, that's why I have to make notes, and I did not. Um, the, the, the John commentary um, kind of highlights it this way. It has these four or five main um, headings for the pieces of passages in John 16. And I thought it was brilliant and helps us a lot this morning. So the first is the, the idea of the disciples' mission is bigger than themselves. From verse 4 to 6, we, we really see this. And I'm just going to read from here because I had the passage um, in one th- big thing. And then Mana made these nice slides. So um, thank you, Mana. So the disciples' mission is bigger than themselves. Let's just read that first passage together. Is it, is it there? Yeah. So I did not tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But, and so basically Jesus is telling them now, it's been tough. And if I told you guys all of these things in the beginning of our discipleship journey three years ago, most of you might have run away. <laughs> most of you would not have understood in any ways. And I was with you, so you did not have to understand this because I was still with you. But now he's preparing them. He's not going to be with them anymore. And these things that he's telling them become very important, vitally important. That's why I think from chapter 14 to 17 in John, it's probably some of the most important words of Jesus we can ever read. And it's so good that you guys are spending time on this. But now I am going to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking me, where are you going? Instead, your hearts are filled with sadness, because I have said these things to you. Now the thing is here, Jesus is telling them that the the mission is bigger than you. The mission is not just you having me in your presence, physically. The world needs to know me. The world needs to believe in me. Everyone needs to know me and believe in me so that everyone might have life. And so you guys are not even asking me, where am I going? You're just caring about yourselves. You didn't even ask me once, why are you going and what do you have to go do? They're just saying, why are you going away from us? <laughs> you know, like a lot of times I think we, we miss the mission. We're like, yeah, but, but my comfort, my, my things that I want to be doing, my own plans, why do you, Jesus, not just want to sit with me? And why do you not just want to give me the things that I want? And the answer is very clear. The mission is bigger than yourself. The mission is bigger than the disciples. And they don't realize this at this time. But the resurrection (laughs) catapults them into a massive mission, as you all know. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. So I just quickly wanted to touch on that. But the the second point we see, and I I want to focus on this quite a bit this morning, is that the disciples' mission 
requires supernatural help. And this is important. The kids this morning are also speaking about the Holy Spirit, which is so cool. We need supernatural help if we're going to do this. We, we see incredible things happening when the Holy Spirit comes to empower His church. It's incredible to see. So let's look at this next passage. We're going to read from verse 7 to 15 now. So, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I'm going away. And the disciples do not want to hear these words at this moment. As I said, they're just crying because Jesus is leaving. But it's good for you. For if I do not go away, the advocate, or another translation would say, the counselor will not come to you. And we know counselor, capital C, capital A, refers to the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will prove the world wrong concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Those three words we don't like to hear, but just take them in for a second. Sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning, concerning righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. The ruler of this world, it's important for us to understand, refers to the devil or Satan. It refers to the evil powers. And there's a lot of ways we can know this. And, it, and a lot of passages like Ephesians 2 also speaks about this ruler of the air or ruler of this world. It's referring to, to the devil that has been defeated. It's beautiful that Jesus says this actually even before his death and resurrection. He says that I know this guy has no power. So, we have two things that we see about the Holy Spirit in this beautiful passage where Jesus exposes to us what he is about to do. And we have to therefore ask, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Now, I didn't want to spend too much time on it because I'm convinced you guys have some good idea. But the Holy Spirit, obviously, firstly, we need to know and believe that he is fully God. Second thing is that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not just some abstract thing. And Jesus didn't say, when I send it to you. No, when I send him to you, he's a personal person in our midst, working here. And so we have to know that if we believe this about the Holy Spirit, that he is God, then we have to ask ourselves, what is he here to do? And not necessarily always. And Especially in the context of this passage, we believe Jesus, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. We believe that he wants to be close to us and, and, and lead us through difficult times. But in the context of this passage, sometimes we have to ask not just how can the Holy Spirit help me, rather what does the Holy Spirit want to lead me to do? If the Holy Spirit is here, if he's coming to you, there's a reason and he has something for you. I mean, just for a second, just put your selfish self away and just trust me on this. <laughs> That's the best thing for you. The moment you step into, and I think a lot of you will know this, the moment you step into something the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, you will never in your life find more joy than that moment. Yeah. That is where joy, true joy is found, when you are living and doing what the one who created you to do. And so that is the beauty of it. The end goal of man and of, of woman is to, be glorif to glorify God and to be satisfied in Him. Yes. To truly just love Him more than yourself. And that's where we find joy and that's where we find freedom and that's where we find liberation, etc. So, let's just for a second ask ourselves then, what 
is the Holy Spirit here to do? And Jesus tells us very beautifully. The first thing we have to focus on is that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. Convict the world of sin. And then I love how Jesus unpacks to us what the worst sin, possible sin is. Now, if I had to ask you, what is the worst possible sin? Depending on your personality and depending on your background and depending on who you are and what you do for a living, all of us will give different answers. Some of us will say human trafficking is the worst sin. Some of us will say sexual immorality is the worst sin. Some, some of us will say um, the, the love of money. Some will say whatever else. And, and all of us will have this kind of inclination towards something specific. And I think a lot of times that's problematic because we start ministries and we start discipleship groups with something in front of it. Any type of discipleship is empty because discipleship is holistic. And we need to disciple people into the full life of Jesus, not the this type of disciple, sexual discipleship, or discipling people in understanding this or this or this or this. It needs to be discipling holistically and therefore, I think, we need to understand what Jesus says is the worst sin. And the worst sin, according to Jesus, you see it in the passage, is not believing in Jesus. Without that, there's, there's no hope in any case. So, so, so we are always busy trying to fix some of the, the surface problems. And I'm not dissing any ministries. We as a church are involved in many of these things. And we, of course, need to be where the need is. But the main need, and as soon as we shift our minds around this, is that people do not know Jesus. And this is painful. And I hope it breaks your heart when you know there are people in our city who doesn't know Jesus. And therefore, the sin, the separation from God, is destroying their lives. And it's destroying our city. And it's destroying everything around us because we do not believe in Jesus. And he says it's very simple. I just want people to believe in me and to submit to my lordship because that's how the world will know change. That's how the world will know this joy and peace that I'm about to speak about. Second thing is that he would convict us of what is right. Convict us of righteousness. And then the other beautiful thing Jesus does here is he, he doesn't go on saying immediately, so this is how we are to live holy lives. Of course, we need to be living holy lives. And there are so many things that I, if you, if you speak with someone, of course, we need to tell them in a discipleship pattern, like this is not something you can continue doing if you want to show the fullness of God. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, you cannot do these things. But once again, Jesus gives us something more abstract a little maybe or, or broader than the single things that we are not doing right. He's saying, how are you righteous? Have union with Christ. Just be one with him. And this refers back to, to chapter 15 again. Just saying, we have to have union with Christ. And that therefore makes you righteous. We always start with doing the right things. And, and, and I, I see so many people trying to, to, to change their lifestyles without being one with Christ. And I think that's where it comes down to. And I, and I want to end there today. So I'm not going to spend too much time now there. But, but the idea of saying that union with Christ is the only thing that Jesus gives them to be righteous. He doesn't tell them, this is how you... Stop watching pornography, step one to five. This is how you stop doing this or stop doing that. He's saying, be one with me. And I'm going to send you someone who's going to counsel you, 
going to lead you and show you how to be different. And then lastly, we of course see that Jesus also brings the judgment. And because it's a long passage, I don't have time to spend a lot of time on there. But I just want to quickly maybe focus on this idea that we have in our modern times, probably the worst epidemic or pandemic that we see, and that's the, the pandemic of relative truth. Yes, man, it's, it's, it's struggle. It it's really upsets me. <laughs> uh, I somehow lose my words. <laughs> but people are saying, yes, I'm so happy that you found your truth. It's just so that as long as it's true for you, it's true. It's so beautiful. And, and we have this thing of saying, you find your truth within yourself. And the deeper you look, the more truth you find. And then once you've found that truth, let's celebrate you. And let's celebrate the truth that you find. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm glad that you are grossed out as well. But we obviously believe in an almighty, all-powerful God who is the truth and who has always given us the standard for truth, who has revealed the truth to us. Praise God that He revealed the truth to us. He didn't just leave us to find out and figure out and to, to dig through the ugly things in here and somehow turn it into truth. No, He has given us some objective truth that we have to hold on to. And that's why you, you see it in the Greek, you, and you see it in some of the translations, you have a very clear the in front of truth in this scripture. Not He's come to reveal some truth to you or some truths. No, He's come to reveal the truth to you. And that's important. So verse 13 to 14, we see this beautiful thing. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. And what is this truth? The, the truth that Jesus is referring to, well, he's speaking about all the, tru the truth that he's revealed to them over three years, but more importantly, he's referring to the truth of what he's about to do. The gospel, that's what we believe. The fact that Jesus, not very long from the time he said these words, will be arrested unfairly, unfairly judged the next day, killed on the cross, and that three days later, he will conquer death conquer sin, make us righteous. So important for us to see this, the truth of the gospel. And friends, we need to hold on to this truth with everything we've got. That, that's the only hope and joy and peace in this life that we have is the truth that Jesus himself proclaimed to us. And we need to hold on to this when anything from the outside comes to us. And we're going to get to that in the next part of the passage. We need to stay strong, believing this truth. Jesus Jesus' words, I have told you these things so that you might not abandon your faith. Do not abandon what you believe about the gospel. Do not abandon what you believe about what Jesus has done for you. And do not abandon what God believes about you, that you are worth saving and that he can save you no matter what you did. And he wants to. 
I see this beautiful thing about Peter's life. And now Peter's always, we hero him, but he's the most ridiculous guy in the whole Bible. Like he's, I don't mean to be, a, uh, to, to offend, be offensive, but he's quite useless. <laughs> like, like Peter is, uh, he's just, for instance, he's the first disciple to actually abandon his faith. So Jesus says this beautiful thing, I tell you these things, and now we can say it very beautifully, but Jesus tells him in this difficult time, I tell you these things so that you would not abandon your faith. And then Peter's like, I will never abandon my faith. I will die for you, Lord. And then like less than 24 hours later, he's like, Jesus, oh, that's so familiar. I don't, I don't think I know him. <laughs> never mind dying for him. Never mind being abandoned for Jesus. Never mind giving his life for Jesus. No, no, he doesn't even know him. You could at least just like, I always thought if I was Peter, I would probably have said, yeah, I know him, but um, yeah, I, I don't agree with what he does, you know, or, or, or something, because he was obviously afraid for his life in this moment when Jesus was arrested. But Peter abandons his faith. So what changes between Peter, the guy who abandons his faith, the guy who's not willing to even say that he knows Jesus, not say that he follows Jesus, say that he knows Jesus, the guy who doesn't even acknowledge that he knows of Jesus, what happens between this guy and the guy who then, not long from this time, says to the people about to kill him, please crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die the way my Lord died. What happened in between? Well, it is good for you that I go away because then I can send the Holy Spirit. What happens between the guy who doesn't want to say I know Jesus to the guy who gets arrested when he gives the first sermon in the church? Pretty powerful sermon. 3,000 people come to faith after he preaches the first sermon in the church. And then he gets arrested and then they tell him, okay, we'll let you go, but just stop talking about Jesus. And he's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then he gets out of prison and he's like, okay, cool. So they say we're not allowed to talk about Jesus. So have you heard? Jesus died for all of you and you guys are sinners. <laughs> and he tells them, and I love that sermon he gives. It's like, you guys crucified Jesus. They're like, what? We did nothing. And then he goes to the Old Testament. He gives this powerful sermon again and more people come to faith and more and more people come to faith. What happened to Peter between this and that? Well, it's quite clear. The Holy Spirit was sent. The Holy Spirit gave power. And the Holy Spirit gave guidance. I do, however, want to say it's so important for us to see what this passage says as well. It says that even the Holy Spirit will keep reminding us of Jesus and what Jesus has done. Keep glorifying Jesus and allowing us to glorify Jesus. And so I, I love what Skip Heitzig says. He says, if we want to really know if someone is filled with the Spirit, we need to be seeing if they are making much of Jesus. If someone is filled with the Spirit, they will be speaking about Jesus all the time. When's the last time someone has maybe said to you, man, can you just maybe cool with the Jesus talk? If it hasn't been recent, we have to maybe do some introspection. I had to do this, and it's been a while. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor, so people assume I will talk about Jesus. But I don't think my friends outside of the church, I don't think I speak to them about Jesus enough. I don't think I glorify Jesus in their presence enough. Maybe we have to ask ourselves, how are we glorifying Jesus? Because it is very clearly, according to Jesus, a sign of being filled with the Spirit. 
He will guide you in all truth. And it says here, he will also declare what is to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. This is still the Jesus mission. And the Holy Spirit is empowering us to make Jesus' name known all over the world. And it's incredible how it's happened. I think it's doing pretty well. The fact that we know Jesus here, the fact that we worship him here, the fact that many people in South Africa are worshiping him today, that is very, very encouraging. Okay, so the next part of the passage. We know about the Holy Spirit. And we're going we're gonna to focus on it a bit later again. And these next two, I, I, I don't want to give you whiplash, but it's going to be very quick, okay? Verses 20 to 21, the joy is revealed in a time of sorrow. Now, this is, this is hard. The joy is revealed in times. So in other words, Jesus is almost saying to them, you haven't even realized how much joy you have. When the tough times come, you'll see. This is scary to me because it means like we need some sorrow and some hard times to, to understand how much joy we have within us. Let's read those verses, 20 and 21. I tell you the solemn truth. You will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will be sad, but your sadness will turn into joy. When a woman gives birth, and this is a beautiful metaphor Jesus uses, and I cannot speak into with any authority. Um, when a woman gives birth, she has distress because her time has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the suffering because of her joy that a human being has been born into the world. Powerful. I mean, any mother here will know and, and probably can. Can the mothers testify, please? Because I cannot. Thank you. So apparently that pain is worth it. <laughs> apparently that pain is worth it. And, um, and, and so, so Jesus says that tough times are coming. Tough times never last. That's good. But the beautiful thing about it, and you have to think through this maybe for yourself, but, but why will it be worth it for us? Why will it be worth it for us to go through the birth pains, to go through the suffering? And when he's talking to the disciples, he's talking about very physical pain. Eleven out of these people that he's speaking to now will be killed just because they believe in Jesus just because they proclaim Jesus' name, just because they won't keep quiet, just because they make much of Jesus because that's a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why will it be worth it? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it will be worth it because the church will never die and the church will not even be beaten by the gates of hell. And remember gates, it's always a beautiful thing, but remember gates is a very static weapon of defense. I don't know when the last time you watched a war movie when someone on the battlefield runs with a gate and hits people with a gate. The gate is a passive thing. It's, it's standing here stagnant. So what is Jesus telling us? We need to go barge through those gates. And we need to barge through the gates of hell and we need to take back what is rightfully God's. We need to take back this city. We need to take back this world for him. And that's why even the worst of sorrow, even the worst of pain will be worth it when we see people proclaiming the name of Jesus, when we see people coming to faith, when we see people glorifying Jesus, when we see people being filled with the Holy Spirit, making much of Jesus and changing this world to be better forever. Definitely, it will be worth it. Why else will it be worth it? Because one day we will have the joy and the privilege of 
glorifying the name that is above all names, and we will be lifted up with him. We will be raised to the highest place just with Jesus. As we read in Colossians and Ephesians, we just see this beauty of Jesus saying that you die with me, but remember, I am being raised up to the name that's above every other name, and I'm taking you with me. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. Verse 22, this joy is resistant to every attack. And I referred to this a little bit early, but earlier, but we know that this joy is not happiness. Like, oh, this ice cream. We use the word joy wrong a lot of times. This ice cream gives me so much joy. Now you're happy because of the ice cream. But if someone knocks the ice cream out of your hand, your joy is immediately gone, right? <laughs> Your, your uh, laughter will turn into mourning. Your smiles will turn into upside-down smiles. You will lose your joy immediately. So joy is not something we're holding in our hands and someone can just slap it out of our hands. Joy is something that's so integrally part of us, not even killing our bodies will take it away from us. There are these beautiful stories of some of the early apostles in the church being burnt alive and used as, as human torches so that the, the Roman soldiers, when they can come back, they can actually see the road clearly. And they burn these Christians alive on these stakes. And there's so many stories of them quoting scripture, worshiping Jesus while burning. Not even being set alight could take away these people's joy. That's literally fire. How much more do you think the Holy Spirit wants to come and ignite joy in your heart when people are trying to take it away from us? When, when the world around us is trying to lead us onto the path of destruction, when the world around us is trying to, to lead us away from the mission that is bigger than ourselves, how much more do you think that joy will be resistant to every attack? Verse 22, let me just quickly read it for you guys. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. The last two. The joy is refreshed through answered prayer. Verses 23 and 24. It's beautiful. The joy is refreshed through answered prayer. So Jesus tells them, I'm not only going to have this abstract idea of joy in you and that it will be resisted, but now I'm going to tell you, times will get tough. And even the, the, the most radical of us who are really sold out to Jesus, sometimes we need some refreshing in our joy, right? Sometimes our joy is depleted. Sometimes our hope is depleted. Sometimes we have no peace and we cannot sleep and we are restless but, but Jesus just gives us the way. He says, the joy will be refreshed through answered prayer. Verse 23 and 24. At the time you will ask me nothing. I will tell you the solemn truth. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive it so that your joy may be complete. I love this vision of the upper room because the upper room a lot of things happen there firstly this is where this whole speech started that i said in the beginning jesus sits in the upper room with the disciples and then what happens is they scatter they kind of abandon their faith for a second 
Jesus knows they will. And then they come back when Jesus is raised from the dead and he tells them, wait in Jerusalem and pray until I send the Holy Spirit. And we know the disciples then are very fervently praying and waiting on the Lord. For 10 days, that's when we celebrate Pentecost. For 10 days, they wait and pray. And by the way, they did not know it was going to be 10 days. They were ready to pray indefinitely. <laughs> and we can't even pray for 10 days. Each year I try and encourage our church and our people to pray for the same 10 days that the disciples that when we are leading up to Pentecost, we're like, let's do what the disciples did. Let's follow in the footsteps. And the greatest thing is we know it's ending in 10 days. What if I were to tell you, let's just pray. I don't know if we would be persistent as they were. But here what happens, the disciples return to the upper room. They return to the upper room and they don't leave until Jesus sends who he promised he will send. Maybe it's time for us to return to the upper room and just spend time here again praying and saying, Lord, I don't want to leave this place unless your spirit goes with me and unless your spirit empowers me to do what he has for me to do. And the most beautiful of all of this for me is that Jesus himself believed in this and did this. John 17. John 17 from 20 to 21. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. This is talking about you. We believe through the word of the disciples. John, the gospel of John is the words of the disciples and we believe through this. That's why the book was written. So Jesus specifically prays for you and I. He prays for the people who believe through the word of these disciples. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. It's so beautiful to see this because Jesus prays this and he knows that joy is refreshed to the answered prayer. And let me tell you something. The fact that Doxa Hatfield exists is an answered prayer. It's Jesus himself's prayer being answered. Doxa Hatfield being called to, to go out and share the word so that they might believe. So that the world might believe that God the Father sent Jesus. And that's the truth. Jesus himself prayed for this. May this refresh your joy this morning. The band, you're welcome to, to come up. I just want to focus on this last thing, verse 33. The joy is rooted in a reconciled relationship. A reconciled relationship. Verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. The second thing I told you we'll focus on today. The joy that cannot be refreshed, but also the peace. In the world you have many, you will have trouble and suffering. But take courage, I have conquered the world. Now I think we, it will be helpful for us to just read from Ephesians 2 quickly and, and, and just focus on maybe what it means sometimes when the world is so tough and working against us. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, the evil spirit. We all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others also were. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You, you, you are saved by grace. There are these three forces at work. We see the force of the enemy. We see the force of the devil at work, working in the hearts of the disobedient, the ones who did not choose to follow Jesus. I don't want to know if you are someone who follows Jesus yourself. But Jesus wants to call you back from the worst sin, the worst sin that says, not believing in me leads to destruction. It's better for you to believe in me. It's better for you that the Spirit will be sent second power we see at work is the ways of the world and you guys know just as well as I that the world is working pretty hard for instance with the whole truth rant that I had earlier to pull us away from the truth and convince us there are many truths to pull us away from the path to Jesus and put us on some path to destruction to death and the last thing we see is that there's a third power that's very strong and sometimes maybe the strongest of the three and that's your fleshly desires your own desire to choose what you think is best for yourself your own desire to know better your own desire to decide what truth is for you your own desire to do what gives you pleasure your own desire to do what what you feel will be best and the nicest for you at that moment. But there is one very strong, much stronger than any of these three powers at work, and he has overcome. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has overcome. He wants to overcome in you. He wants to overcome around you. And he has beaten the devil. Holy Spirit is here this morning to point you to Him. The Holy Spirit's work this morning is to point you to Jesus, the power that has overcome every other power. I've told you these things that you might have peace. If you're restless this morning, if you're struggling this morning to truly be content with who you are, to be content in who you are, if you're struggling, if you don't enjoy life anymore, that's not what Jesus has for you. If you have lost your joy and your peace, that's not Jesus' heart for you. He wants you to have peace and joy that cannot be taken away by anything or anyone or any force, any person, any nothing. Because Jesus has overcome the world. This truth, this truth, the only truth that Jesus died for you makes it possible for us, as Hebrews say, to now, full of confidence, boldly, not uncertain, like did Jesus really do this? Boldly and certain, full of confidence, approach the throne of the Holy God. Let's return to the upper room. Let's go back to the upper room and join in with the angels and with the saints praying to the only living God, the one who actually hears us, the one who's here with us this morning. I don't know how your life is looking, your personal life with Jesus, but, but I have a feeling there's a couple of you here who 
We don't spend any time in the upper room. This is maybe your upper room time for the week. This is maybe your time of, of praying for the peace of God to enter your heart, of praying for the joy of God to live through your heart. But I believe Jesus gives us, I don't want to call it a recipe, but he just tells us, yeah, this is how it works. There's joy that cannot be taken away, and you keep refreshing it by praying and seeing how I answer your prayers. Maybe you should just pray that this morning. Maybe you should just pray that the Lord God Almighty refresh your joy and refresh your peace this morning. And if you want to see this refreshment, Shay shared a beautiful word with us this morning to say that this should take us into momentum that just carries on throughout the week, throughout the year. Things are coming to a close now at the end of this year, but Jesus is not coming to a close. Let's be refreshed continuously throughout December holiday when no one wants to do anything. Remain in the upper room and see what the Holy Spirit has for you to do. Why is He here? What is He empowering you to do? I want to pray for us, but I, I don't want you to miss this moment. Just maybe pray yourselves. You don't even have to listen to my prayer. I'm speaking to God. But pray your own prayer this morning and pray that God would come and refresh something in your heart. And if you maybe have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus and you're not sure at this moment whether you believe in Him or not, trust us on this. Take a leap this morning and see how He answers your prayers. Ask Him to come and refresh your peace and your joy this morning because He gives you hope that cannot be taken away, hope that lasts for eternity. Father, we are so dependent on You. Nothing I said this morning, nothing I did this morning or read this morning has any value or any worth if, Lord, you are not in it, if, if, Holy Spirit, you are not moving in and through our hearts this morning. I pray may you just throw away anything I said that's not helpful. I may just use whatever you wanted to say this morning and, and transform our hearts with that this morning. Holy Spirit, we are so desperate for you to point us to Jesus are so desperate to be empowered by you and we're so desperate to know what you would have us do in this world Lord moment your game plan for the week tell the Lord when you want to be spending time in the upper room tell the Lord how you want to value that time with him this week Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. 
Thank you, Lord, that you did not only just do something past tense, but you are still doing. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for transforming our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for raising dead people to life. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life. Yeah, well, we pray this in Jesus' name.